Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Good. Man, I love that. I love that. Um, Keep that type of energy because here's what I need from you. I want to talk to you for just a second, okay? This is like actual vocal crowd participation time. Uh, I want to know from you, how many of you have something in your life, seemingly small, seemingly insignificant, uh, probably other people think you're crazy for it, but for whatever reason, uh, it makes you angry. How many of you have those small little ticks that just make you mad? Go ahead, tell, tell me what, I'm in, what they are, throw them out. No turn signals. Yes. What was that, cutting you off? Which way do y'all take home? Because that's not <laughs> the way I want to go. Listen, I think we all have like those little small things, like my wife, whenever I whistle, that's ball game, right? Like I've ruined her day officially. Uh, we all have these little things that just kind of trigger us And uh, I don't say this at all to brag, but typically, I'm not the type of person that gets angry easily. Uh, Earlier this year, I was on a trip with some friends, and I was asleep. A lot of them, they had kind of circled up, and they were talking uh, about various things. And then uh, somewhere, they told me the next morning, the conversation shifted, and they were like, Aaron, we were trying to figure it out last night. Do you get angry? Like, does anything make you upset? You're always so calm. You're always so cool. You're so collected. And honestly, like, it took me a while to think of something. Uh, but that was back in January. And I, I hate to admit this, but the list has gotten a lot longer <laughs> since I've started thinking about it. Uh, and I'm not going to tell y'all the full, the full list because y'all are cruel. I mentioned in one sermon a few months ago that I was afraid of snakes. And like now I can't even go to baptism without somebody being, ha, snake, ah, I got you. Like, I'm not gonna let you know my Achilles heel. But there is one thing that I'm gonna let you about, let you know about, because if you do it, it's not gonna be nice. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna get angry. Uh, I hate it when people spoil movies or experiences for me. It is my biggest pet peeve. I love movies. I love experiencing something for the first time. I actually get a little bit sad when I watch like a psychological thriller that has a big twist at the end of it. I get sad that I'll never feel that way when I watch that movie again. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Maybe for you, it's a good book or something like that. But uh, a few years ago, I actually, I had a guy spoil Fight Club for me. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, dude, the movie's 25 years old. I'm 28, okay? I was three. Give me a break, (laughs) all right? Uh, Give me some time to watch this. Uh, Here's the one thing I do know, even though I've never seen the movie, I know there's one rule. You don't talk about Fight Club. Apparently, he skipped that part of the movie. Uh, A few weeks ago, I realized it's not just movies, but this actually happens with everything. Uh, we love theme parks in my family. We go take these trips all the time uh, of the past, including this weekend, of the last five weekends, we've been in amusement parks for four of them, okay? Like we love amusement parks. We went to Busch Gardens Williamsburg for the very first time. And we're, all right, okay. You know, it's not where I thought the amen would come, but I appreciate it. Um, So we're in Busch Gardens Williamsburg and uh, we go to get on this ride and we made a rookie mistake. We went with three people. Uh, And this is when you figure out who, like, the second-tier friend is. 
And I was sad because I quickly found out it was me, right? So I'm the one, I end, up, uh, I end up riding with strangers on a couple of different rides and stuff. And there was this one ride we got on. Um, since you know Busch Gardens Williamsburg, it's called Verbolton, okay? So I'm sorry, I'm gonna spoil a little bit of this for you, but I need you to go through what I went through. So the, the way the ride is set up is like all the other coasters are big, you can see them across the tree line. This one, you really can't see anything about it. Uh, and so I get in line and this guy is like, hey, how are you? Dang it, I'm the second tier friend. <laughs> talking to a stranger, hey, what's up, man? And you ever have somebody talk to you and like the entire time you're just trying to let them know, like respectfully, I'm not interested. Like I'm not gonna tell you no, but like every time he says something, I'm like, what, word, that's crazy, right? And then I try to like look at my phone and pretend like that's the end of the conversation. So he can keep going, keep going, keep going. Like this dude, we're playing two different games. He's playing tennis, I'm playing dodgeball. Like I do not wanna have this conversation. So we get into the, the, the train or the car or whatever, and we sit down and he goes, have you ever done this ride before? And I go, no, I don't know anything about it. Insinuating, I wanna keep it that way. And this guy goes, man, it's awesome. He's like, there's this one spot where you go in the dark and then the whole track, it drops from one level to the second, but I'm not gonna tell you about it because it's amazing. <laughs> so the entire time, all I'm doing is trying to erase his memory, but he won't let me. Like this dude is commentating the entire time we go. He's like, here it is, here we go, it's coming up. Get ready, like we're sitting there. I have a gift that I wanna show you. This is actually what it looked like, uh, me and him riding on this car side by side. He has a big smile on his face and uh, that's me. That's the way I look. That is our entire, <laughs> that's what the entire experience was like, man. I hate it when people spoil experiences for me, but, but here's something uh, that I noticed uh, that's a little bit different about me just as a human being and me in everyday life, even though I don't like spoilers, I still wanna know that the end of my story is gonna be okay. Like I think even for those of us who we ask questions and we kinda like these, these random moments, these elements of surprise in our life, like we still wanna know that at the end of the day, everything is gonna turn out just fine. Now I'm not talking about roller coasters, I'm not, I'm not talking about Fight Club, I'm talking about the deep down part of us that wonders, man, through all the ups and downs that I go through as a person, is everything going to be okay? Now for those of you who you've put your faith in Jesus, uh, you've read this book before, you would think that when somebody came and handed a 14-year-old Aaron a copy of this book, that all of my worries and all of my insecurities and all of my doubts would have gone away because guess what? In the back of the book, it tells us how everything ends. It tells us that if you're team Jesus, guess what? We win in the end, but for whatever reason, I still, like, I know that's the whole picture. But what about today? Like, what about this week? What about this year, this situation, this singular situation that I'm going through? Maybe you're in here and uh, you don't believe this book. And so you have plenty of questions. What about me? Well, I want to let you know that, that the reason why we find our hope in this book, the reason why we find our hope in the back of the book uh, is because of the man that's in it. His name is Jesus. And the reason why we love Jesus so much, the reason why we get together and we talk about Jesus week in and week out is because we believe that Jesus reveals to us the heart of God. And the heart of God always says, it's gonna be okay. The problem is, is that sometimes it doesn't look 
like it's going to be okay. And this is where the tension rises. Oftentimes, the question that we, we ask is, yeah, listen, I know it's going to be okay, but Jesus, why are you taking so long? And I'm not even talking about like to come back. I just mean to let me know you're here. To let me know that you're working. Jesus, if everything is going to be okay, what's taking you so long? Am I the only one who's ever questioned Jesus' timing on anything? Like this is just kind of the thing we do, right? Maybe, maybe it's a job. When am I going to get that job? Or when am I going to get that spouse? Or when is that acceptance letter going to come in? Or maybe, maybe it's just when am I going to feel like God is there? Like I've been crying out for a long time. And I just feel like he's not listening to me. How do I know that this situation is going to be okay? Has anybody ever said, Jesus, take the wheel, and then you realize he turned down a street you've never seen before? <laughs> and then what happens? You say, oh, no, Jesus, let, let me take over because I know a shortcut. Let me drive. I will try to figure this out. You see, in our own impatience, we end up trying to, to rewrite the narrative ourselves but I want to, I kind of want to encourage you in this, that this is the human condition. Like you're not alone. If you've ever asked those questions before, uh, you are not by yourself. Here's the reality. These are questions and thoughts and ways that people have been talking to Jesus for thousands of years. And there's one story in particular that I want to zoom in on uh, in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over that way. Uh, but it shows us um, that not, following Jesus is not always as cut and dry as he said it. I believe it. It's not always, hey, the story's going to end up okay, I promise, and then you just never worry again. In John chapter 11, it opens with an introduction to a family. Uh, there are three people. There's Lazarus, who in verse 1, the author of John, John uh, tells us that Lazarus is sick. And then in verse 2, it tells us Lazarus, he has two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, and also Lazarus is sick. And then the, uh, John, he gets to John eleven three, and he just wants to remind us one more time, hey, did I mention to you that John is sick? I'm sorry, that Lazarus is sick? Do you know that? Like he is, he's using repetitive language to express to us, this guy is not just sick, he's sick sick. And it becomes very apparent very soon that, uh, that Lazarus is dying. But then we get an all, another interesting detail, one that complicates the story. It's the fact that Jesus was friends with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. In fact, it goes a little bit further. The Bible actually tells us that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, which makes the following actions very confusing. In John 11, chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verses 4 through 7, it says, When Jesus heard about this, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So, although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the author of John is very clear about that, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Do you see a couple of issues in this story? Do you see how the understanding that these people are loved by Jesus uh, start, makes them start to question his love when he don't show up? Like, this is just a part of, of who we are, right? Like, we assume, like, oh, if you love me, you're going to uh, act when I ask you to do something. Parents, you tell your kids, hey, clean your room. 
If they took two days, what happens? You go, oh, do you even love me? <laughs> do you even care about me? I thought, you, I thought you respected me. I want you to obey me, right? When people don't move when we expect them to, we question if they love us, and that's the same thing that we see that happens with Mary and Martha. But the part of this that I think also really complicates the story is the fact that uh, Jesus, he spoils the story. He tells him right here, he does the thing I hate. He tells him, hey, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. But then he stays back for two more days. I want you to imagine for a second that you're Mary and Martha. Your brother is sick, he's dying. And so Mary and Martha, they find a messenger and they say, hey, listen, can you go get Jesus? So the messenger goes, looking for him. Hey, Jesus, uh, you know Lazarus, your friend, the guy that you really love, um, he's dying. And Jesus goes, don't worry, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. And then the messengers are like, okay. So they head back over. They show up at Mary and Martha's house. Hey, so what did Jesus say? Oh, uh, uh, he said, um, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Well, where is he? Did he come back with, oh, we don't know where he is. But he just said, everything's going to be okay. And Mary and Martha, they go into this panic mode. And I think the reason why is because they heard the what Jesus was going to do, but they ignored the why and the how that Jesus was going to do it. And this happens to us. What did Jesus say he was going to do? He said, well, I'm going to make sure that Lazarus' story doesn't end in death. But why and how does he say that he's going to do it? He said, I'm going to do this. Uh, this is going to happen for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. See, they just heard the what, but they didn't consider how Jesus wanted to do it, and they didn't consider the fact that maybe Jesus is writing a better story than even they could write for themselves. At the end of our last series, Why Are You Running?, uh, Dwayne Calvin, he, uh, he shared a little bit about this idea, uh, this idea of allowing God to write a better story. He, he talked about handing God the pen to write the story. And that's really what faith looks like. Faith looks like, hey, listen, I'm taking things out of my own control and I'm giving them to you. And in this moment, Mary and Martha are given the opportunity to hand Jesus the pen, but instead they want control. And I just want to ask you, do you trust that Jesus may be writing a better story or do you crave control? Have you tried to give him the pen? Because it's a great moment. Some of y'all remember being in the room for that. When Dwayne talked about that idea, some of y'all saw it pop up on your Instagram feed and you double tapped it and saved it and sent it to three friends. But have you tried it? It's not easy. I want to ask you this, and I actually want you to have conversation about this throughout the week with, with your families, with your friends, and the car ride with people, maybe even at the office. What areas of your life do you live like Jesus is in control? In which areas of your life do you live like he's not? Are you okay letting Jesus write the story that he wants to write? Verse seven, finally, after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. 
Now, this next part of the story, I'm not going to go super into detail about, but I do think there are some important things for us to know. Uh, He tells his disciples, hey, we're about to go back to Judea. And they actually have some objections to this because they remember a few days ago they were in Judea and the people there tried to stone them, tried to kill Jesus. And so uh, they say, listen, Jesus, um, I don't know if you heard, Lazarus is already dying. I don't think he has any more room in his tomb, bro. Like we can't, if we go back there, we're going to end up right next to him. And I don't think that's the best thing to do. And so Jesus in a very poetic and eloquent and honestly kind of confusing way, uh, he says uh, that, uh, that death doesn't scare him. That's the main point he's trying to get across. No, I'm going to go do what I'm going to do because death doesn't scare me. And he's, an allu- he's alluding to a bigger idea that he's going to make later. Uh, in verse uh, uh, 11, Jesus actually humiliates death. I love this, but nobody catches on to it. It's a really funny moment in scripture. Jesus has this moment of like, he's been waiting. It's been two days. It's time to head back to Judea. And he has this like movie trailer quote moment. This like really like cool, just like bad guy thing to say. He says, then Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. And then the trailer ends, you know what I mean? Like, that sounds awesome. This is his, like, I'll be back moment, you know? But look at what these idiot disciples say. (laughs) The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. (laughs) Because they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was sleeping. This is why I trust the Bible. I would not include these details (laughs) if this was about me. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was sleeping. But Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, hey, Lazarus is dead. (laughs) He ain't asleep. Lazarus is dead. And then Jesus says something else that sets off alarm bells to our human sensibilities. He says, and for your sakes, talking to the people watching, the disciples, the onlookers, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. I want you to think about this. Like Jesus actually says out loud, I'm glad that I didn't go heal Lazarus. I'm okay with the fact that he, he died. And I just, <laughs> I wonder if Mary and Martha were on the scene for that, how they would respond hearing Jesus say that. Because they were confused. They didn't understand the story that he was writing. This is Jesus' way of telling them, listen, I haven't gone yet, but that's because there's a point to this. And unfortunately, you're missing it. You know, I think it's funny that when the disciples think that, G- that Lazarus is just asleep, their entire countenance changes. And they're like, oh, well, Jesus, if he's just asleep, what does he need you for? Lazarus, or Jesus, if Lazarus is just sick, give that man a couple of Tylenol and a can of Campbell's. He'll be fine in the morning. Translation, we don't need you to go there, Jesus. They'll figure it out on their own. Isn't it funny how for us as human beings, we call on Jesus in the worst case scenario, but if we think we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, we're like, no, I got it from here. Does anybody else do this thing? You pull your phone out and you use the GPS and then like you get really annoyed because every five minutes she interrupts your music and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And then as soon as you get to the part of town where you're like, I think I know where I'm at, click. You turn her off and you put her down. Isn't it a shame that we treat Jesus the same way? 
Oh, no, I got it from here, Jesus. I'll figure it out. And now we start to see the veil lifted on why Jesus left Lazarus to die. Because it's when Lazarus is in the tomb, when he's dead, that everybody goes, where is Jesus? But I just wonder if when everything was okay, the question was, who's Jesus? Don't we live that way sometimes? Where is Jesus right now? When all hell breaks loose, where in the world is Jesus? Why was Jesus glad that Lazarus had died? Because otherwise, everyone would have missed the point. Maybe the reason why some of you have hit rock bottom is because it's the only place dark enough for you to realize that Jesus is the light of the world. Maybe the reason why some of you are so hungry is because that is the type of hunger pain where you finally recognize that Jesus is the only satisfaction I ever truly need in this life. That's when we realize he is the bread of life. Maybe the reason why some of you feel so lost is because God actually needed you to get to that place so you would be quiet long enough to hear the voice of the good shepherd calling out your name. Maybe God is writing a better story. Because here's what I know what happens, man. When we don't hit rock bottom, we chalk everything up to coincidence. Oh, yeah, things were on the downswing, but they're getting better now, you know. I guess my number finally came up. The universe was looking out for me. No, man, God's working miracles after miracles after miracles every single day, but for some reason we only call on him when Lazarus is in the grave. Maybe the reason God allows us to experience hopelessness is to realize that he's our only hope. The reason why he allows us to get sick is so that we will realize that he is our healing. Let's hop back into the story. Verse 17 tells us that Lazarus had been dead for four days. And this is a a quick detail to to skim over. One, you think, man, four days, like that's, that's crazy. In Jewish culture, this would have been a big deal. Uh, This isn't in the Bible, but we know from some first century Jewish writings that uh, uh, in early Jewish culture, there was this superstition that believed that when a person died, that their spirit would kind of hover over their body for three days, kind of like this like supernatural double dutch, just like, are we we doing, no, nah, he's good, he's done, we're going to peace out, right? So on the fourth day, like, listen, if in, in John 11, uh, 1, 2, and 3, uh, John is like, hey, listen, Lazarus is sick, sick. Him saying that Jesus had waited four days was him being like, listen, Lazarus is now dead, dead. There's no solution. And it's at this moment that Jesus comes into town. Mary hears about this. She goes to find him and thinks, Jesus, you're too late. And really, he's like, no, I'm right on time. I'm right where I need to be, when I need to be there. When Jesus heard that, uh, I'm sorry, when Martha heard that Jesus was in town, she left to go meet him halfway. She says this in John eleven twenty one, Lord, if you had only been here. Have you ever felt that way before? Maybe you feel that way right now. Jesus, if you would have been there, 
Maybe I could have saved my marriage. Jesus, if you had been there, you know how long I've been praying for my son and look at where he is now. Jesus, you knew granny was sick. Where were you? But then she collects herself. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then she does something pretty interesting here. She says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Now, you can try to chalk this up as good faith starting to to rear its head, but I actually don't think that's what it is because of the way this conversation goes on. I think that Mary, I'm sorry, that Martha is trying to drum up something in her theology that she doesn't believe in her heart. Maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe you were on your way to church today and you got in the parking lot and you wipe the tears away and you walk in and somebody in a green shirt goes, hey, how you doing today? And you say, I'm fine. God's good. You keep walking and you run into a friend of yours and they're like, hey, how was that situation you've been praying about? I've, I've, I've been praying for you as well. And you go, well, you know, I don't, I don't quite understand it, but this, I bought this sign from Hobby Lobby that says all things work together. So I just, you know, I assume... God's good, man. I don't get it, but it's going to be okay. This isn't the end for me. I'm not buried. I'm planted. You know what I mean? All that weird churchy stuff we say that nobody understands. Yeah. We start drumming that stuff up because we think it's what we're supposed to say to make people think that we're better than we are. Martha knows what she's supposed to say, but she doesn't really believe it. What she's saying doesn't line up with how she feels. And can I just take a break to encourage you that if that's where you're at right now, it's okay. Can I encourage you with the truth that that Jesus feels with you? Shortest verse in the entire Bible is John 11:35. It says this: it says, Jesus wept. It comes in the middle of this story, and it means that even though Jesus knows how this thing is gonna turn out, he still cries and he still feels. Why? Because death has Lazarus in the grave and Martha and Mary are in the chokehold of grief right now. You know what Jesus doesn't say? Man, Martha, get over it. Don't you know who I am? No, he weeps with her. And so if you're in here and you feel something, Jesus feels with you. Jesus starts talking to her and then she goes back to her theology. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he'll rise when everybody else rises on the last day. She knows the right answers. (laughs) She knows what to say, good theology. This is where Jesus shows it to her plainly. No, listen, Martha, Martha, you're waiting for a resurrection one day, but I want you to understand you are in the presence of the resurrection right now. Jesus tells her in John 11, 23 through 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. What's really fascinating about all these I am statements of Jesus that we've been talking about over the past few weeks and through the course of this series is this, is that Jesus often uses a physical analogy to teach us a spiritual reality. No, see, you don't want bread. 
you're hungry for something deeper. No, yeah, yeah, you need light, but guess what? I am the light. Martha, you're asking for a resurrection. I am the resurrection. And guess what? What I'm about to do for Lazarus on a physical level is what I want to do for you on a spiritual level. And that message echoes throughout all of eternity for each and every one of us. Guess what? We're Lazarus in the story. (laughs) Maybe you felt like Martha before. Maybe you felt like the disciples before. But we are all Lazarus. At some point, we have been in a grave waiting on Jesus to show up. And then he does. And he offers us what? Himself. Because so many of us have been looking for a resurrection when really we need to look for a person. The person of Jesus is, is who we are and it's, he's, he's what we need. I'm gonna go ahead and jump ahead to the good part, <laughs> the fun part of the story. Verse 41, Jesus gets to Lazarus' tomb and they roll the stone aside. Then Je- Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all the people standing here. I want you to think about how awkward this is. (laughs) This is like being at Thanksgiving dinner and being like, God, I pray for Uncle Larry. You know he's struggling. (laughs) And Uncle Larry's holding your hand. You know what I'm talking about? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, man, they haven't gotten the point. But he's like, "I I don't need to say this out loud. That's just how much power I have. I'm saying it so that they will get the point. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus. Come out. And the dead man came out. What a wild sentence. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told him, Unwrap him and let him go. Why did Jesus seem to move so slow? Why did Jesus seem to, to take his sweet time getting to Lazarus? Why did he let him rot away for four days? It's because he wanted everybody on the scene to know, I am the resurrection and the life. Can I put this another way for you? Jesus is the one who revives us and he's the one that sustains us. What's so beautiful, man, he had plans all along of raising Lazarus from the dead. But what's so beautiful is, is that in the middle of the story, he goes, Martha, Mary, let me comfort you. He lets them experience that, not as a punishment, not because he's cruel, but as a grace. I want to know, if Lazarus wasn't in the grave, do you think that Martha would have ever received a hug from Jesus that day? Do you think she ever would have felt the safety of his arms? to cry in the arms of someone who actually knows what you're going through and like doesn't just say I understand, but they actually understand. This is the beauty of being with the one who revives us and sustains us. Jesus wanted them to know I'm in control today. I've always been in control and I always will be in control and everything's gonna be all right. In fact, it's going to be better than all right. To close, I want to go back to this one part that I, that I left out of John eleven twenty six. Jesus tells her, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he closes out with this question. He goes, do you believe this, Martha? 
Like, I know we've talked about all your theology already, but do you believe that I'm what you need? Or do you just know stuff about me? Martha, have you experienced me before? Or do you just know all the Bible trivia questions? I want to ask you that. Have you experienced the resurrection and the life of Jesus? This whole thing isn't about her theology. It isn't about saying the right words. It's not about putting on a brave face so that everybody will think you're a super Christian. No, this is about her heart. It's about your heart. It's about my heart. We sang these words earlier. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. But Jesus, you called me a citizen of heaven. When I was left unwanted, beaten down, crushed under the weight of my sin, Jesus adopts us into his family. When I was broken, you were my healing. Not the things I asked you for. Jesus, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. Because when you called my name, just like Lazarus, I came running out of that grave. Jesus is the only one with the power and the ability to raise dead things back to life. And so we sang those words earlier, but I just want to ask you, do you believe it? Do you believe those words? Do you believe that the greatest miracle has already been done? Do you believe that the work has already been finished? Do you believe that the back of the book is true? Do you believe that even though you may not see Jesus right now, that he is working for your benefit, but most importantly, for God's glory? Do you believe that Jesus is the one who revives us and sustains us all the way through? You want to know how you can tell? You answer this question. Well, well, do I live like it? Do I live like it's true? Do I live like Jesus has won and now death can't touch me? Do I recognize that just like Lazarus, my story will not end in death? So your story, the, the one that feels like sin, the one you're addicted to is crushing you right now, it won't end in death. The grave can't win. Grief won't destroy you. It has been locked away. Death has been locked away and Jesus has the key and he does not plan on turning it over anytime soon. It's done. He has the final say. I want to invite you into something. You know, some of us, we know this is true because we've experienced it. I'm sure there are stories all throughout this room, all throughout our campuses, even watching at home. Maybe you're watching uh, with a home group right now and you're surrounded by a bunch of people. Here's what I want you to do. And this isn't for everybody. It, it isn't. And that's okay. Maybe you're in here and today you resonate more with the hurt and the grief of Mary and Martha. That's fine. We feel with you. And Jesus feels with you. But if you're here in the room at any of our campuses, watching in a home group, and uh, and you've experienced Jesus save a situation in your life 
that seemed like it was headed for a dead end, I just want you to stand at all of our campuses, whether it's, whether it's man, Jesus, uh, God revived my marriage that I thought was never gonna happen, or I was headed down a dead end road and now uh, God has somehow saved me and redeemed me and now he's using me for his purposes. Maybe you're in the middle of a situation right now and you're like, yeah, listen, life sucks, but somehow God is still encouraging me every day. I don't understand it, I don't get it, but there's this joy that gets renewed time after time after time. If that's you, I just want you to stand up. And if you're in any of those places and you're not standing right now, listen, I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to look around at the faithfulness of God. Jesus is still calling people out of graves. Jesus is still rolling stones away. And it may not look like a a physical resurrection, but I want to tell you that every single person that's standing around you right now, at one point or another, they have been dead, myself included. And by the miraculous power of Jesus, for, for whatever reason, because he loves us, because he willed it, he called our name and we just said yes. And we walked out of the grave and we have experienced, we haven't read about, we haven't talked about. This isn't about a book report. This isn't about any sort of oral presentation. This is the fact that we have met a man named Jesus and he's changed our lives. That's the story that's standing around you. Now for everybody who is standing, I want to encourage you, share that story. If there's anybody sitting around you, if there's anybody in your life who's like, man, listen, I have a hard time believing the book. Listen, this isn't about believing the book. It's about meeting a man. Let me tell you about him. The man who changed my life and saved my life. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray. And first, I'm just going to thank God for all the people that are standing and for all the people who, who have experienced his goodness. And then I'm going to pray for those of you who are crying out and saying, man, God, I, I need something. Maybe you're here as your last ditch effort. And I'm just going to pray that you get to experience the resurrection life that Jesus offers for you. And then when I'm done, when I say, man, the, the worship band is going to come back out and we're going to have a moment to do something that I think is amazing. I, I heard somebody say this. Uh, it's a woman by the name of Catherine Wolf. She says that hope is celebrating the end of the story right now. Come on, man. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I don't have to wait till one day to celebrate. I get to do it right now? That's what we get the chance to do. So we're going to go back into a time of worship, man. And I just want you, I want you to sing it like you mean it. Come on, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for each and every person that's standing at all of our campuses right now, standing in homes. Uh, Maybe they're just driving their car and they got one hand up in the air. God, thank you for the glimpses of your faithfulness in people all around us. Father, my prayer would be that, that you would protect these hearts from the attacks of Satan. They're standing boldly and saying, man, I've experienced the life and the resurrection and the joy of Jesus. And we know that Satan wants nothing more than to take those things away. So, Father, we pray that you would protect us. Pray that we will always know the comfort of your love. Father, I also want to pray for those who are in the room who they're like, man, I don't even have the strength to stand right now. I don't know why I'm here. I don't, I don't understand it. Like, I want to believe everything that's being said, but how do I know that? God, I just pray that you would give them a moment where they hand you the pen and they trust Man, Jesus, maybe you're writing a better story. 
That's a tough point of faith to be. But make it so, Jesus. God, I pray that we can all be an encouragement to those who maybe they weren't here, they didn't hear this message this weekend. Maybe they've never opened a page of your book before. But God, I just pray that as we go out of these doors, God, I pray we look like Lazarus. Just imagine the sight of a man in grave clothes walking through the streets. God, let that be us. Let us be the ones who are ready to tell everyone, yeah, I was dead. But then there was a man named Jesus. He called my name, changed everything about me, never been the same ever since. Lord, teach us to live like that. Father, we love you. We offer our worship to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.